0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. When the Lord God had brought the people of Israel out of Egypt with many signs and wonders, and they had gathered around Mount Sinai, He descended in the midst of a great cloud filled with thunder and lightning, and said to all the people, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. This was the first of the Ten Commandments, which he spoke from the mountain to the people, before they went to Moses and said, after the Tenth Commandment, Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. In this, this then is our commandment with which we begin our Wednesday evening services this Lent, as we look at the Lord's commands for his people how we as his people may live now that he has brought us out of the land of sin and out of the house of slavery to it. The first commandment, as we learn it in the small catechism, is this. You shall have no other gods. And what does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Our first reading this evening from Exodus 32 where the people commanded Aaron to make for them the, a god to worship, serves as the prototypical breaking of this commandment for us. This may be called crass or outward idolatry, as it's seen very plainly from outward actions. Our psalm this evening, Psalm 81, describes this as the worship of strange gods and of foreign gods. That is, they are unknown strangers from foreign nations they are not the god who saved israel from egypt who is the very same god who saved us from sin death and the devil in building the calf aaron built an idol after the manner of the egyptians who worshipped such animals as their gods or as representing them we know of course that these false gods are not really gods at all and saint paul tells us in his epistle to the corinthians what they truly are demons my beloved flee from idolatry he says what pagans offer what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to god i do not want you to be participants with demons You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The Lord takes the breaking of this commandment especially very seriously, as we saw in our first reading. He does not want our hearts to belong to another or for us to follow after demons who do not and cannot save us. And so we obviously should not worship false gods along with the true and only God. But likewise, St. Paul reminds us we should not even participate in such worship, even if we say that we're not worshipping the demons behind it. As such, to flee idolatry, we should not participate in the worship of idols. We should remove ourselves when such worship of demons under the form of false gods is happening so as not to participate with demons and provoke the Lord to jealousy. This includes when prayers are offered to them, or sacrifices such as incense, sage, sweet grass, and tobacco, or anything else. To stay or participate gives our tacit permission and consent. And tells others that we approve of this worship of false gods God preserve us from this especially in our age when such things are becoming more and more common in our everyday lives and such idolatrous worship is making its way into our workplaces just as in the ancient days likewise we should not partake in those things which stem from such false worship or are connected to it or which have their roots in idolatry. This includes many of the practices which come from the so-called New Age movement, which is not new at all but has modernized many ancient idolatrous practices. An example of things like this is the use of crystals or talismans or other things that we put in the home that are designed to bring good luck or ward off evil. Or seeking the advice of horoscopes and the misuse of the stars which were given for us to count the months. To use these things is to participate in idolatry, as it puts our trust in them and, gives, and seeks from them protection and good rather than from God. Psychics, mediums, medicine men, and the like also participate in idolatry, and to go to them puts false gods alongside of God. Even those which are dressed up in a plausibly Christian veneer, such as seeking out signs or omens with Christian buzzwords attached, looking for evidence of angels and the like, falls under this form of idolatry. Because the Lord specifically and strictly forbids such practices because they take our eyes off of Him. As we seek to divine His hidden will and use the means to do that, which demons have introduced into the world. To participate in this is to participate in idolatry. What St. Paul said by the Spirit to the Christians in Corinth, I say to you, beloved, flee from idolatry. But this is not the only kind of idolatry. There is a more insidious kind, an inner idolatry, which has to do with fear, love, and faith. This is so insidious because it is in the heart, and so it is more difficult to avoid. For what God demands of us in this commandment is fear, love, and trust in him above all things. If we hold anything in our heart as something which we trust and expect our good to come from, then we have that thing as our God. For that is what it is to have a God. In our second reading, Many could not accept the words of Jesus as coming from God, and they could not accept that he was sent from God. That was because they held in their hearts something other than the true God as God, and so they rejected his coming from God. Notice, they thought they served the Lord, they thought they served God, but they held something else in their hearts. The Lord also shows us, in our Psalms the same thing, when he says that it is he who provides good, not idols, even though his people sought to gain good things from them. There shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouths wide and I will fill it. And so we see how prevalent this sort of idolatry is. It is an idolatry which judges whether or not we have God or whether or not he loves us depending on whether or not we have much or little of that thing which we hold as God. Some examples. An idol which is held as a god by many is mammon, that is wealth and riches. Our Lord warned us against this on many occasions because he knows the hearts of man. And Dr. Luther saw this as the most common idol on earth in his day. In ours, with the shift in how commerce is done and how important the capital E economy is for many, I say it is probably even more true today than at any other time. The one with Mammon as a god is happy and thinks they are blessed so long as they have many possessions, goods, and wealth. The opposite is also true. When such a person that holds mammon as a god is without these things, they're despondent, despairing, and feel as if God has abandoned them and cursed them because of their lack. This is the type of thing that the prosperity preachers promote, not the worship of the true God, but the worship of mammon, because it teaches you to think, when I have much, God loves me, When I lack, God is angry with me. And in our democratic society, and especially in our polarized age, politics and government can also be held as a God by many. Usually it takes the form of holding to a particular party as God. The one who does this believes that all good will come from the government when their preferred party is in power, when they stay in power, but when it's not, well then the end of society is near. It is collapsing as we speak because the other party has gained power. The other party is often seen as devils and their members deceived. Such a one thinks, if only my party of choice were in power, then this would not have happened, this wouldn't have been, things would have been better, etc. Such actions hold persons and parties as God because they expect and hope for all good from them, and they despair when their God is not in power. So too it can happen with skill, health, and our own self-will. How many times have we heard someone say, whether it's in person or through the news, if I could never do this skill or that skill again— or if I could never in, never work again in this way or that, I would rather die. Such a person has made that skill their god. We see a lot in our society as well regarding idolatry of health. There are people suing the government so that they will legally be allowed to kill themselves with an order written beforehand if they get dementia, go blind, or deaf. These are symptoms of holding our health as God, because one cannot imagine living a life without it. They cannot imagine having anything good if they do not have their mind as it stands, their eyes, their ears, or all of their limbs. The same goes with the self and will. Those who hold in their heart that they should be able to do whatever they want, or become whatever they want, despite what nature has said, with no restriction or constraint, worship their will, worship their self. For when they are constricted or cannot do what they want, they despair as if all is lost. When they get what they want in exercising their will, everything is good. These are only some examples of how we can hold on to other things in our heart as God and how such inward idolatry is found everywhere all around us. But the Lord's commands are not only what we are not to do, they're not only negative in that sense, but they're also positive. For they tell us, they tell us whom God has redeemed by the precious blood of his Son, and are regenerated by the Holy Spirit as being new creations, how we should live as his people. Thus, with... This command, you shall have no other gods, and what it requires above all is faith, that we trust in him, that we look to him as the source of all good things, and look to him for protection and help at all times. If we hold to God as God, trusting in him above all things, and thus fearing and loving him above all, then we don't need to fear if we lose everything. If the world and politics seems to be getting worse if we lose body parts mobility or our mental faculties because we have god and he is not only the giver of all good things but he is the source and essence of all that is good for he as god is the ultimate good and he gives us this command for our own good so that we may know that all good comes from him That we may always trust in Him in all circumstances, both for things temporal and eternal. He does not want us to trust in anything or anyone else for our good, because these things, they will fail, and they will. We will be hopeless when our idols fail us, we'll be despairing, and we'll be lost. God is the giver of all good things and all things necessary to support this body and life. All that we receive is from him, for he is its source and the one who causes it to be given. We often receive all good things for this body and life through others, yet it is really God behind them all, using others, whether they know it or not, as his hands and feet to fulfill his will in caring for his creation and all of its creatures. In this same way, he supplies every good and need for eternal life. It is he who sent his Son into the world. Our Lord said to the Jews who would not believe in him, I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. He was sent in order to live a perfect life in our place, fulfilling the law for us, and to die for the sins of the world, so that by faith in him... Our sins would be forgiven, and we may live eternally with him. This is not something we could do on our own. It's not something that anything or anyone else could give us. Only God, the true God, could give us these blessings. He alone is the source of salvation, and all good gifts which pertain to salvation. That is why he desires that we turn to him alone for this, for he alone has it to give. That is why he desires for us to fear, love, and trust in him above all things, and to see that all good comes from him. Because it does. We can't get it anywhere else. Thus, this commandment is the first commandment because it is above and before all others. It is the source of all other commands, and it is interwoven through them. We see this in the meaning in the small catechism. This one, the first commandment, means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Every other commandment meaning begins with, we should fear and love God so that. We do all that he has commanded because he is our God. That is why we do them. And because he is the giver of all that is good. And because he has worked our salvation and delivered us from death. Nothing is so great as he nothing so precious, nothing so faithful, merciful, and loving. May we, by God's gracious will, always hold to him and him alone as God in true faith until he brings us into the resurrection and life for all the living. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord, Amen.